Today's reading comes to you from Mark chapter 16, reading from verses 1 to 8. Mark's the second book in the New Testament, which you can find right after Matthew. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in the white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to it, nothing to anyone, because they were afraid. The reading is taken from Luke chapter 24, 13 to 16, then 28 to 31, and then 33 to 34. So that's Luke chapter 24, 13 to 16, 28 to 31, and 33 to 34. So, starting at verse 13. Now, the same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognising him. And then verse 28. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognised him, and he disappeared from their sight. And then verse 33. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven, and those with them assembled together, and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Well, I think I might be about to amaze you, or maybe some of you. Uh, And the reason is because I'm recording this today, Thursday. I think I know what some of your answers were to that question earlier. I think some of you would have been talking about something that happened this week. 
let me tell you the story. Someone in our church family this week had a few weeks back got some um, really bad news. They were told that they had cancer, lots of it. And uh, the blood test said so, the scan said so, uh, the doctor said so. The only question was, what type of cancer was it and uh, how far had it spread? Well, last week, after a bit of a roller coaster time, they had the operation. And this week, they got the test results in. And you know what? There was no cancer there at all. It was all benign. And uh, it was unexpected. And they were overjoyed, obviously. And those of us in their home group and, and, and others in their family and friends, of course, we were overjoyed as well. The Lord may have done something specific. We don't know. But something happened. And they can tell that story in more detail at another time. Now, some of us watching this, some of you watching that would have actually been really excited about that because you know the story. Others of you will have the idea that actually, um, yeah, it's interesting, but it doesn't, you know, it's good to hear, but it's not that kind of personal for you. Uh, uh, and actually, we, we get excited about it because of that personal link. Hold that thought. Now, Easter Sunday is about a really unexpected event. It was a, a wonderful surprise and as the church today celebrates all around the world, we do that because Jesus coming back to life or the resurrection is a huge thing. It's part of something very big, something very important. God has done something. The king has defeated death. Everything can be different. And this is no ordinary resurrection because Jesus was no ordinary person. His life wasn't ordinary. His teaching wasn't ordinary. His death wasn't ordinary. And now his resurrection certainly is not ordinary. It's something really exciting and important has been happened. This is God coming among us. So when human rebellion and supernatural evil cannot destroy and silence the son of God, why do we ever think that they could anyway? When that power of death, rebellion, evil is broken by Jesus, then that is really big. And we celebrate all around the world. But as we read about what actually happened, as we look into the Gospels and we read the stories, actually, as you read it, you, it's not a declaration about cosmic truth. It's completely personal. It's like our friend with the medical result I mentioned. It's personal. Jesus is back from the dead, finding the people who loved him, his friends and his followers. He's hanging out with them. That was how it had always been. Because, you see, Jesus didn't start a movement. He just touched people's lives. Sure, there's a bigger dimension too. God is in the place. Jesus is to be worshipped as we see, uh, as we'll see later in another passage we read. But Jesus isn't in the temple or any other temple. He's not back from the dead making big noises and huge demands. He's out there, out and about, like he always was. And anyway, Jesus is the king whose kingdom is first in people's lives. It's a movement of one. One person and another person and another person. And it still works like that today. He is the risen Lord and King. He is vindicated. He is triumphant at the heart of God's purposes. But he also works mainly one by one. He is the King with the personal touch. And today we're going to think about how that works, how it did then and how it does for us now. So it was personal for those first disciples. That's why they were going through the worst weekend ever. Jesus had been crucified 
a savage execution after a terribly unjust trial. He'd been humiliated, he'd been tortured, beaten up by the Roman army, and by mid to late afternoon on Friday, he is dead. Some of his friends have asked for the body, which is laid in a tomb. The practice there and then was that bodies would not be buried in the ground or cremated, but put in a tomb. And it kind of worked that uh, they'd be there for a couple of years. Uh, and then by then the body would have rotted away and there'd only be the bones left. And the bones would be then put into an ossuary, uh, a bone box, and that would either stay in the tomb or go somewhere else. And that's how you could lend someone a tomb. It wasn't like today where we think, well, I could lend someone my gravesite. That wasn't it. So this man, Joseph of Arimathea, he had this lovely tomb in a garden uh, and it was for him to use when he died. A bit like a kind of funeral plan we have today. And he wasn't going to need it normally uh, for a, a couple of years. So that's why Jesus's body ended up there. And all of this has to be done before the Sabbath began, which was on the Friday evening. And the disciples go off, they run away, and the women go back to their homes. And the Sabbath ended on Saturday evening at sundown. And by then the shops would be open. So the women go out shopping, they get spices ready because of what they want to do early on the next day, on the Sunday morning. You know, they're desperate to honour his body. They want to say goodbye to the Lord they loved. That has real um, resonance, doesn't it, in our current situation? You can imagine how they felt. They knew about the tomb and the body because they were there when he died. Not like the men disciples who all ran away just when he needed them most. And they, well, where were they? We don't know. Imagine how they were feeling, especially Peter. Despite all his big words we were thinking about last week, his promises never to deny Jesus. Actually, he'd done that three times. And the last time Jesus uh, is not far away and the, the Gospels tell us that there's this kind of look. Jesus catches Peter's eye as he denies him the last time. And Peter, it says, goes out and he wept bitterly. He leaves his whole body shuddering with the sobbing. They were like kind of surface tremors from an earthquake in his heart. He was desperate. Anyway, meanwhile, the women, they're back on the way to the tomb and then they realise actually that there's a problem. The tomb had a large stone rolled in front of it. Now, when I was a little boy, I used to see pictures. They were of like great big round rocks, but it's not like that. It wasn't like that then. It was a big stone disc, a massive great thing, but it was like a disc set in a groove, like a big sliding door. So it could move uh, across and back, uh, being circular. Now, limestone is everywhere in Israel and Palestine, uh, and it's a soft, workable stone. So it was easy to, or relatively easy, to construct these things. If you go on Google, you can find out how they actually split these stones in the ancient world. But it's, it's not impossibly heavy, but you do need two or three strong blokes to move it. And, and the women are saying, well, how are we going to move this uh, from the stone? And they get there, and the stone is already rolled back in its channel. They go inside. And they meet a young man in white, an angel. He tells them not to be alarmed. If you're looking for Jesus, he says, well, he's risen. He's not here. This is where he was. And he shows them where the body would have been laid. And then he gives them something to do. Look, would you go and give the disciples and Peter a message? And the message is this. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. And there you will see him just as he told you. 
we had that read to us. And that's what happened. And we see that in the other Gospels and Acts. He, he meets them in Galilee, in all kinds of places, in very normal ways, on the beach, cooks them fish, up a mountain, has uh, lots of talks with them. In fact, Luke tells us he was with them for 40 days, teaching them about the kingdom of God. Well, that would have been great to have been there. And then they all travel back to Bethany near Jerusalem at the end of the 40 days. And it's from Bethany that he leaves and goes back to his father in heaven. And the disciples are told to stay in Jerusalem and wait for what happens next. But let's go back to the angel. Look what he says to them in their disappointment, in their confusion, in their amazement, in their fear. They can trust what he told you just as he told you. It's not how you feel, but what he says. And the angel's message is for us too. Let, let what he told you, what he tells you, shape what you do. So the women go off. They do just that to find out what's happened. And they're also told to tell Peter. It's beautiful that Peter gets a special mention. Peter, you know, who, who was last seen sobbing, a failure. I mean, how low must have he been? And there's a special message for Peter, a special message. He's mentioned by name. Jesus is going to meet him just as he told him. And meanwhile, as we had in that other reading, we, we meet another couple, probably a man and a woman, maybe two men, I don't know. They were walking home from Jerusalem to their village of Emmaus and Jesus comes along and joins them. Uh, they don't recognize him. He tells uh, that rather they tell him how disappointed they are that their, their, their hope for Messiah, that Jesus had died. And Jesus, not knowing, they, them not knowing who he is, tells them all about what God has said in the Bible. And in the end, they kind of come to their home and they realize who he is. And by then he's gone. And so they're so excited. They get up and they run back to Jerusalem, Jerusalem and they, t they tell the others. And what do the others say? It's in the reading. It's true, say the others. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. That's Peter. He didn't have to wait to see Jesus until he got there in Galilee. Jesus came straight over somewhere in Jerusalem and Jesus and Peter have a one to one. Here then is Jesus. He's the risen king with the personal touch, the risen king who restores us. Like Peter in his failure, the women in their sadness and shock, and even that couple on the road to Emmaus who were so disappointed. Here's the question. Is Jesus alive for you personally? Not just the risen Lord of God's purpose, but touching your life and mine as well. Do we need restoring? We fail like Peter. We all do. He is alive to come near to us if we ask him. He can forgive us. He can mend us again. Are we disappointed, confused, shocked? Well, he comes to restore us. He tells us to trust his word. We bring what he said in his word into the mix of our feelings. I don't know whether you saw um, MasterChef this week, but there was a, uh, they were trying, having to make a really special thing in a, a, a posh uh, uh, restaurant. And, and one of the guys made a terrible mistake with making something and uh, it all went to, to, to blazes and, and, and it separated. And the chef, the one the supervisor came over and said, 
it's all 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 over the place but we'll put a mixing agent and it brought it all back together again and sometimes I, I think our feelings our emotions can be like like that that we they've been so they've been overbeaten and and that word of god is like the mixing agent that we bring into our feelings to help us as we move forward with the lord with the lord so where are you with that jesus as the risen king who restores us let's reflect on that for a moment or two as we sing together This reading is from John chapter 20, verses 19 to 29. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So we saw a a few moments ago from Mark's gospel and Luke's gospel, how the risen Jesus restores us. Now, as we think of that passage from John's gospel, we're going to think about how the risen Jesus reassures and transforms us. We've seen that Jesus alive, he just meets people. It's all really personal. He's not just some kind of religious truth. It's about real lives being touched by Jesus, just like it was when they were with him before, but different in some quite uh, particular ways. And we've read just a, a little while ago what happens later on that first day of the week. Jesus is back with the disciples again. Now, guess what? They're in lockdown. Uh, Why are they in lockdown? Because it says they're terrified. They're really fearful that the people that, that arrested and crucified Jesus will be after them next. And in the midst of that, Jesus comes and a transformation takes place as they are. Their fear is transformed to joy. So they're not all fearful. One isn't there. He's out shopping. Nobody was going to lock him down. That's Thomas. He's decided he's not going to believe unless he sees. And you know, Jesus comes back a week later just for Thomas, it seems. Although the others are obviously pleased to see him too. And he tells Thomas to stop doubting and believe, start believing. 
you know, I wonder what Thomas must have been like for the rest of that week. I suspect it wasn't a, he wasn't a particularly easy person to have in the disciples group. So there's this reassurance and transformation from fear to joy, from doubt to belief to faith. Why? Well, because Jesus comes to them, especially Thomas, just like Peter. There's this wonderful handmade quality about the way Jesus works in our lives, isn't there? Have you noticed that? What about us? Well, there's a reference to us here because we are included. We are the ones who can believe without seeing. So could it be that the resurrection can be about Jesus being alive and really touching our lives, transforming our fear to joy and our honest struggles to trust and worship? How could that happen? How does it happen for the disciples here? Well, Jesus brings two things into their experience as he stands among them. Firstly, he brings evidence. It's really him. He has real scars and all around the resurrection accounts, there is evidence. It happens again and again during this period. That's why the incident with Thomas is so important. There is evidence to believe and Thomas is right to ask for it, especially since Jesus was around at that time anyway. So these resurrection accounts, it's not about myths or stories. We're not in Hogwarts or Middle Earth here. This is history. So there's evidence, but there is also experience. Jesus brings his peace, his peace rather, both times repeated for Thomas. And peace is that Hebrew idea of shalom, of God putting all things together again, putting it all back. God making things whole so that it is well. God is king. Jesus is his son. Now, that's not by magic or by wishing all is well or simply saying all will be well. But it's got something to do with those scars. You see, Jesus has put everything right by dying on the cross. His death has changed everything and his resurrection proves it. Romans 1 verse 4 says Jesus is declared to be the son of God with power by his resurrection from the dead. There is peace. It is well, but it is only because of Jesus and it will only be through Jesus. So when Jesus says peace and shows them his scars, what he's saying is, I've got this. I've got this. And then he breathes on them, just like it tells us in the creation of account, God breathes life into people. Jesus breathes on them and promises them the Holy Spirit in their lives now, that's fully realised at Pentecost, uh, we read of in Acts 2, but I'm sure it made a difference there and then. And then he tells them that he's sending them into the world, just like your father had sent him. And the main points are repeated for Thomas when Thomas uh, uh, comes back a week later, when Jesus comes back, rather, and Thomas is there. Again, peace is given. The scars are touched. Thomas believes and Thomas worships. So they're transformed. They're reassured and transformed. And we can know that too. His peace. He's got that. His presence, the Holy Spirit in our lives, a new purpose to not just to live in the world, not just to kind of hang out in the world, but to be sent into the world just as Jesus was sent by his father. And it begins in that personal way. Thomas, I think, is kind of like the first believer of the New Testament age. 
he won't believe, but with evidence and experience. And, you know, for us, we, we come to Jesus and, and we different ones of us need different kind of uh, ratio, ratios of evidence and experience, as it were. But with that evidence and that experience, Thomas gets it. What does he get? He gets that Jesus is not the Lord. Jesus is not just God. He is my Lord and my God, and he worships him. And if you've never seen that Jesus could be your Lord, not just the Lord, and you need, you know you need that, simply ask him. Ask him to come and be part of your life. Give it to him. You can do that right now. If you want to know more or tell us about it, email us or leave a message on our website. Contact us at portswood.org. You'll find it if you Google portswood.org. There's a contact place there. So let's live that way, even in lockdown. Let's live as those who have a king who has a personal touch, who is with us. He is alive to be with us, just as he was with them. Although it's now by the Holy Spirit, he's not in the world as he was because he's ascended to heaven. But essentially, the relationship is not different. So let's be alive with Jesus this week. You know, there's one thing we could do this week. We could live like that's true. Why don't we make it a, a, an intention this week to invite Jesus to be part of something? Maybe each day. It's so easy to forget that I sometimes, I, like when I'm preparing a message or I've got a meeting or something, I, I just forget to ask Jesus to just come and be in it and help me with it and take it. And, and you know, uh, when I remember, it really makes a difference. So let's just do that simple step this week. Invite Jesus to be part of our lives in a particular way. It makes a difference when we do. And let's learn in these difficult times to walk with our King Jesus, the risen King with a personal touch. Let's continue to reflect as we worship again.